Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Nahmuduhu ve nesallihi ala Resulü'yel kerim. Amma abad. Elhamdülillah. Tonight is the 27th of February in the year 2023. And elhamdülillah already it's the 8th night of the blessed month of Şaban. So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He blesses us in the month of Shaban and convey us safely to the holy month of Ramadan. <laughs> so to spend the session tonight discussing the glorious Quran and Salat al-Nabi. So first with regards to the Quran, Sayyidina Buraida radiyallahu, he relates that our beloved messenger instructed him, sallallahu alayhi wa اِقْرَئِ الْقُرْآنَ بِالْحُزْنِ فَإِنَّهُ نَزَلَ بِالْحُزْنِ Recite the Qur'an with grief because it descended with grief. This is in Abu Ya'la Tabarani in his Ausat 3-193, Abu Nu'im Al-Hilya 6-196, Al-Haytami in Majma Al-Zawaid 7-351. So on the face of it, this is a very strange instruction given by the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. He said the Qur'an recited with grief, huzn, because it descended with grief. The overall effect of the Qur'anic recitation is said to be of huzn, grief, but not out of grief from the loss of a worldly thing. Rather, it is out of a longing for the Almighty and Glorious Himself for all that is sacred and paradise. This is the meaning. So when you say grief, a person naturally thinks that something's hurt. He's been hurt. He's going through grief. The meaning of grief here with the Quran is that you are grieving, you're yearning to go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are yearning for paradise. You're grieving that you're missing paradise. You're grieving for all that is sacred. So the Prophet said that emotion you should put into the Quran. <laughs> Recite the Quran with grief. Because it descended with grief. Why? Because it's an attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not created. <laughs> It's one of the attributes. It's the only thing truly divine that Allah Ta'ala has given us. The only divine thing that Allah Ta'ala has given us is the Quran. So when we recite it, we are the closest to Him. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is explaining the best recital. When people say this person has a beautiful recital, people think it's a musical tune. <laughs> so what they say is he's got a best tune. That's not the best recital. The best recital is this one. Or you feel that the person is yearning for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Just listening to the language of the Quran without even understanding its words. And around 80% of Muslims, though thereabouts, cannot speak Arabic. is said to be one of the four purposes of the divine revelation. The other three being to purify people's souls. To teach them scripture and also wisdom. So what's interesting, if a person asks you, why has Allah the Almighty and Glorious given you the Quran? 
you say for reasons. And it's not something you've made up, you've invented. The Quran itself, these are the four reasons. One of the four reasons is to listen to it. So what's strange about that? The follow-on question to that would be, but I don't understand Arabic. It still has a profound impact. Have you understood? Even if you don't understand Arabic, the other three is to purify the soul, uh, to teach them scripture and wisdom. So where does it mention that? In Surah Ali Imran, Surah 3, verse 164, the Almighty and Glorious Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, A'udhu Billahi Minish Rajeem, Verily Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was gracious to the believers when he sent to them a messenger وسلم, from amongst themselves. To recite to them his verses, to purify them, and to teach them the book and wisdom, though before they were in clear error. So here's the verse. Allah the Almighty and Glorious says that I was very gracious to the believers when I sent to them Rasulullah. The Prophet himself said, وسلم, in Hakim in his Mustadrak Sahih, I am a merciful gift to you all. So the Quran is telling you that to the believers in particular. But then Allah Ta'ala mentions the four duties. To recite to them his verses. So, this is an error. You'll get some people. What they will say is, there's no point reciting the Quran if you don't understand it. And I've heard people say this quite often. He goes, you're better off getting an English translation. So you go, stop. He goes, why stop? The Quran is not the English translation. When you recite the English translation, that's speech. That's normal speech. The Quran is the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You don't compare the speech of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with any other speech. Then they persist. Yeah, but I don't understand. I don't understand the Quran. And the response to that is, Allah ta'ala knows best how it affects you. This was one of the four reasons why Allah ta'ala gave the Quran. So you listen to it. And it's true. Even, you know, people the world over, when they hear a beautiful recital, tears come to their eyes. And they're not even Muslims. You know, they'll actually say, because that's beautiful. What is he reciting? Because that's the Quran. And they can't even explain. So if it affects a non-Muslim like that, then what about the one who professes to believe in it? With regards to the value or worth of the Quran, our beloved mother, Sayyida Aisha, she said, he would be angered due to it and conversely pleased due to it. This is in Tabrani in his Ausat number 72. So think about this. If I was to ask you, wouldn't you love to please, <coughs> wouldn't you love to please Rasulullah? Which one of us would not? What would please him? The Quran. So stay away. What relationship should we have with the Quran? You should be thinking, the more I attach myself to the Quran, the more I'm pleasing Rasulullah. And obviously to please the Prophet means you're pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But he would be angered due to it. Flip the coin. Not interested. 
If you're not interested in the Quran, who are you angering? <laughs> Rasulullah. If you're angering him, then obviously you're angering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So note Aisha, she summed it up. He would be angered due to it. He would be pleased due to it. Thus, how can we act upon this without comprehension of the Quran? So obviously one of the uh, understanding of this statement is you need to understand the Quran. Then you've got commentary, commentary of the Quran. One should always bear in mind the following threat. Abdullah ibn Abbas, he relates that our beloved messenger said, whoever speaks about the Quran without knowledge shall then be led on the day of judgment with a rain of fire. Astaghfirullah. Whoever speaks about the Quran without knowledge shall be led on the day of judgment with a rain of fire. This is in Abu Ya'la al-Haytami in Majma al-Zawaid 1-168 states Sahih. Imam Sayyuti in his Miftah al-Jannah, page 104-5 of the English translation, also states Sahih. So what is one of the major sins is when you comment upon the Quran without knowledge. This is a major crime because the Prophet mentioned punishments. When the punishment is mentioned, it's a major crime. As the venerable Tabi'i, Maymun ibn Mahran echoed, Rahmatullah Truly this Qur'an has been akhlaqa in many breasts. Therefore learn the ahadith that are besides it. Recorded by Hafiz ibn Abdul Barr in his Jami Bayan al-Ilm number 2366. Abu Nu'im al-Hiliya 4-84 Hassan al So let's look at this. So one of the tabi'in, Maymun ibn Mahran, rahmatullah he said, the Qur'an has been torn to tatters. Akhlaqa. In many hearts. Therefore, to protect yourself from that, learn the hadith that are besides it. So what does it mean? Akhlaqa. The great Hafiz ibn Abdul Barr, he said in Jami Bayan al-Ilm, number 2366, by, by the words, the Quran has been akhlaqa, torn to tatters. Maymun ibn Mahran meant, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best, that its interpretation has been torn to tatters. Except the interpretation conveyed in the narrations of the practicing righteous predecessors. Thus its interpretation is limited to whatever sound a hadith are narrated from them and excludes what people come up with in their minds or dispute about in their opinions in the fashion of those who follow their lusts. So what did Hafiz ibn Abdul Barr say? He said the Quran is torn to shreds when you do not get the correct interpretation. He goes, it's destroying you. And he goes, how do you know you've got the correct interpretation? You go back to the Salaf. The Prophet the companions, the Tabi'een and the Tabi'een, Tabi'een radiallahu ta'ala he goes, that is what he was warning you about, Maymun. He goes, learn the hadith besides it. Thus, the paramount importance of the respected works of tafsir. And if you notice, most of the tafsir authorities, they go through the, they go, they go through the salaf. The most famous you can think of in uh, English translation is Ibn Kathir's tafsir. They've summarized it as well. There's 10 volumes and it's summarized. And if you look, every narration that is relevant to a verse, they give you from the salaf. So why did Ibn Kathir do that? Because he wanted to give you the correct understanding of the verse. However, what is true is the Quran has many meanings. 
both those with profound understanding can extract that this is something which needs to be pointed out as well however for laymen like ourselves safety lies with what the salaf have mentioned and with regards to one of the greatest gifts from the quran we got ayatul kursi surah 2 verse 255 in ad-dur al-mantur our beloved mother sayyida aisha she said that ya allah a person arrived in the presence of rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and complained there was no blessing in anything within his house the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said do you not beside ayatul kursi whichever food and kuri you will recite ayatul kursi on then allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bestow blessings on that food and kuri so let's look at this so this is common now but back in the day it wasn't common there's no blessings how <laughs> many people say that because i'm working you know my socks off and i'm just barely on the surface of the so the response is we're all experiencing it most of us but in those auspicious days it was rare this man he goes look there's no blessings in my house so what was the divine response the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said don't you recite ayatul kursi now look how interesting what he meant by that was there's times to recite it and this is one of the times recite it on the food and allah taala will bless that food for you so now think about the cost of living crisis so this you know you must think this is strange soon as you get your shopping recite ayatul kursi on it look how strange it sounds when you get all those five six seven maybe ten bags in it mashallah that and then recite ayatul kursi over all of it so you're like mm, i put it in the fridge now and see see what starts happening some people do it when the food is cooked that's fine as well there's no problem so this is a sunnah the prophet was telling you this is one of the blessings of ayatul kursi those it is an excellent habit of all those who prepare meals within the dwelling to recite this holy verse over it so obviously traditionally the females would be the ones who were cooking but no problem men can cook as well but when you're cooking recite ayatul kursi over the food so for blessings in there it is not just over food that this holy verse should be recited our beloved messenger said on another occasion sallallahu alaihi wasallam ayatul kursi is not placed over property or children but that the shaitan does not then approach them subhanallah this is in ibn hiban hasn al hasin page 411 of the english translation so if you fear harm of something which you hold dear what's the sunnah recite ayatul kursi so you say ayatul kursi ayatul kursi on your children before you know they retire to bed you recite ayatul kursi before you after you leave your car you recite ayatul kursi when you leave your home the prophet is telling you to do that property and children he mentions specifically and he goes shaitan then has no access is a protection indeed our beloved messenger went as far as to say sallallahu alaihi wasallam in surah al-baqarah there is a verse it is the mother of all verses in the quran it is never recited in a dwelling but it chases the shaitan out of it it is ayatul kursi this is in behaki hakim and many others so shaitan it really hurts so if you recite ayatul kursi in the dwelling fine and is a report from memory where abdul rahman ibn auf was told recite ayatul kursi in every corner of your house 
because he was experiencing things. So why did why did the Prophet mention corners? Because this is where the shaitans, you know, appear. They're waiting to pounce. Right? They're in corners observing. Ayatul Kursi finishes them off. So now, Ayatul Kursi should be in everybody's weaponry. But the tragedy of tragedies, people don't even know what Ayatul Kursi is now. Look how strange. Are you Muslim, brother? Yeah. You know what Ayatul Kursi is? No. So you respond to him by saying, you know what the Quran is? And I'm sure he knows what Quran is. Right? If he doesn't know what Quran is, then my God, what's happening? Right? He goes, oh, it's the greatest verse of the Quran. And you don't know it. Next question. Why is it the greatest verse? <laughs> then you say, oh, right. Take a seat. Other times you recite Ayatul Kursi. The Prophet said in Nasai Sahih Hadith, after the Farad prayer, whoever recites Ayatul Kursi, then only death prevents him from entering paradise. Mm-hmm. But in another report, which is an addition, Sahih and Tabarani, you add uh, Surah Ikhlas. So you recite Ayatul Kursi, then you say Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Qul ahad. And if you die, after that, you go straight to paradise. The Prophet didn't say, you're in a waiting room. Because only death is preventing you. So the scholars point something out here. Straight to paradise. Because if death is death, it doesn't mean what does it mean? Oh, I'm in the grave now. You're dead. So it's a first class ticket to Jannah. Only thing preventing you. Look how easy, how close you are to paradise. In another report, the Prophet said in Tabarani, if you recite Ayatul Kursi after the Farad prayer, it protects you till the next Farad prayer. So it's actually a protection until the next prayer. So it's just good habit to recite Ayatul Kursi after the Farad prayer. So minimum five times a day after every Farad prayer. Right? So again, Ayatul Kursi, recite it after every Farad prayer and also add Surah Ikhlas with it as well. Let's mention something now about the priceless blessing of Salat and Nabi. So half is Mullah Ali Qadi, Rahmatullah, in his Mirqat, one that is T44, and half is Ibn Qayyim in his Jala al Afham, it mentions that our beloved Messenger had said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, whoever invoked blessings upon me, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he has then opened up 70 gates of divine mercy upon himself. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala causes love for him in the hearts of the people. Hence, only that person will harbor hatred for him whose innermost is full of hypocrisy. So this is a very interesting report. The first thing the Prophet said, sallallahu alayhi wa is that they are portals of divine mercy. So what does that mean? It means there's ways in which to get the help and mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The root sharif, Salat al-Nabi, opened 70 of them. The second thing he said, sallallahu alayhi wa Allah causes love for that person in the hearts of people. Now look how interesting. You can think of people. I know people. Right? So think of uh, some of the elders who are regular <coughs> in the masjid. People have affection for them. Nobud Khan. And what is he always, when you go near him, what is he always reading? Durud Sharif. So what did the Prophet say? Allah causes love for him in the hearts of people. Meaning, Allah, Allah causes love for the one who does often Salat al-Nabi. Then he flipped the coin. If a person harbors malice for him, because he's full of hypocrisy. So look how interesting. What is uh, the root Sharif doing? 
the Rul Shuluf is purifying you and it's also purifying the ones you know around you. Mm. Think about that. So this is again some of the special blessings of Salat al-Nabi. These 70 gates of mercy. Abu Mawahib, anhu, he said, I, I saw Rasulullah in my dream. He said to me, you will assuredly intercede for 100,000 people on the day of judgment. So I asked, Ya Rasulullah, how did I attain such a great status? 100,000. The Prophet said, because you often recite Salat and send its reward to me. This is recorded by Hafiz Sha'alani Ashafi, who died 973 AH in his At-Tabaqat Al-Qubra, page 101. So now the Ruj Sharif is like any other deed which you can pass on to the Prophet. But it's a very special deed you can you pass on to the Prophet. Now what's strange about that? Usually we do the Ruj Sharif for ourselves. This noble person, he would do it for the Prophet. So imagine he would just set some time aside, he goes... Oh my Lord, pass all of this unto your beloved messenger. So this is how much love he had for the Prophet He saw him in his dream. So one of the ways to see the Prophet in your dream is to increase in the root chilif. And what did the Prophet say? You're going to intercede for a hundred thousand people. Now think about it. I'm not being funny, but martyrs 71 or thereabouts. Then you get half his 10. So you get numbers. Where have you got a number where it mentions a hundred thousand? <laughs> so he asked, he goes, what have I done to attain this? He goes, you often recite Salat, send its reward upon me. So clarifying upon this, our beloved messenger also said, abundant dhikr and Salat upon me repels poverty. Abundant dhikr and Salat upon me repels poverty. This is in Abu Nu'im, Hafiz ibn Kayyim in his Jala al-Afham, Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Haythami in his Ardur al-Mandud. So if you do a lot of dhikr and durud, poverty is taken away. Now what is this poverty? So obviously it could mean financial, but it could also mean spiritual poverty. Allah Ta'ala is enriching you spiritually, giving you gifts when you do more and more salat upon the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa And this is why Hafiz ibn Hajar al-Asqalani, he said, Rahmatullah alayhi wa al-Bari, Salat al-Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa is the only form of worship which Allah the Almighty will not reject. <laughs> Salat al-Nabi is the only form of worship which Allah the Almighty will not reject. So now, why? You do all the deeds under the sun. There's no guarantee. And we hope, inshallah, Allah will accept it. Why should we be so fearful of acceptance? Because the companions, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, Abu Darda, they said, if we know that just one of our deeds is accepted, this is more beloved to us than everything the sun shines upon. Why? Because there's no guarantee. People with weak iman, they said the opposite. Most of everything is accepted. Allah Ta'ala is the most merciful. <laughs> and then he respond by saying, in Sahaba know that. Right? They're thinking, what am I doing? You're saying oh, 99%? So I'm not being funny, brother, but something's gone wrong. Then they'll respond, oh yeah, so don't you want any of your deeds to be accepted? No, I didn't say that. What I'm saying is, why are you so, you know, cock sure that your deeds are being accepted? 
And where's the ultimate proof? You have to make sincere dua for this. Can you think of a, a famous example? An ultimate proof where nothing is guaranteed. It's in the Quran. It's a famous dua. <laughs> That's a good, solid dua, mashallah. But this one is exactly to the point. It's the dua of Ibrahim and Ismail, والسلام, when they built the Kaaba. When they built the Kaaba, what was the famous dua they made? Rabbana taqabbal minna innaka anta sami'un alim. O our Lord, accept this deep from us. You are the hearer of the Lord. So a person was hanging on it. Who told them to build the Kaaba? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Who helped him to build the Kaaba? Jibreel was one of the stones from paradise. Who built it? Two prophets, yes. Sinless prophets, yes. Why are they making that dua? The question isn't why they're making that. Why are you making the dua, brother? So this is why one of the salaf wept. Because the Khalil and his son built the Kaaba and they feared it won't be accepted. He goes, how could they think that? So that dua is in the Quran. Allah is telling you, look, whenever you do any deed, nothing is accepted, there's no guarantee. That dua should be said regularly. So now, there's one exception. Durud Sharif. So a person goes, hang on a minute. Durud Sharif. Why is that accepted? So why do you think logically this priceless deed has to be accepted. Mm-hmm. Can any of you hazard any, uh, I guess? <laughs> when you do Durood Sharif, mm-hmm. are you sending it? <laughs> so in English, you say, Oh Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, send salat upon Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa and the family of Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa as you send salat upon Ibrahim, and his family, truly you are the praiseworthy and glorious. Through the Ibrahim. Allah, it's, it's nothing to do with you. <laughs> you're saying, Ya Allah, you do it. So if Allah is doing a deed, and it's the only sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, wa malaikatahu Allah and his angels send salat upon the Prophet. The Quran mentions Surah Ahzab. How can that not be answered? So it's guaranteed. And what's interesting, the Prophet ﷺ told us, it's integral when you make a dua. Without sending salat upon me and my family, dua is not going to get answered. So why? Because Rasulullah is indicating, if you put that into your dua, how can Allah not accept the dua? He has to accept the durood. But I'm not going to accept the dua. So the durood sharif is a key to the acceptance of deeds. Think about that. And to finish, very famous report. There was a companion called Obey Ibn Qa'ab. And he's got an amazing CV. He's a companion, obviously. But he was called the man of the root. So why was he called this? Because once the Prophet ﷺ, he came to him. And he goes, Ya Rasulullah, I will send salat upon you half of my life. 
The Prophet said, if you increase it, it's better. So the first thing is, normally the Prophet would say, too much? Reduce it. When he came to the root, was he saying to obey? He goes, increase it. So then he thought, okay. And eventually he said, I will do all of my spare time. The Prophet said, if you do this or obey, Allah will fulfill all your needs in this world and the next. All your needs. Now think about it. You're not even asking. What needs have you got, brother? Every day there's some needs in your need fulfilling. Akhirat, you know, the whole toilet roll comes out. Just keep doing the root. Allah promises I'll fulfill everything for you, both in this world and in the next. But you have to do it abundantly. The scholars point out that this, the root which Obey was doing, was in his spare time. Because there's set zikrs that you do. So he didn't abandon all his zikrs. Like so many of them people made you think. He did his, read his Quran, he did everything. Well, in his spare time, when he was walking, when he was sitting, he would do the roots and salat upon the Prophet And also, he made another dua. The hadith is in Tirmidhi, is authentic. He made another dua. He goes, oh my Lord, give me an illness which does not prevent me from going on jihad, does not prevent me from going on hajj and umrah, and does not prevent me from going to the masjid. Instantly, he got fever. And he had fever for the rest of his life. Obey ibn Qa'ab. And he lived for 30, 40 years. So imagine what his angels are recording. They probably don't have ink. Right? You know, he's getting reward 24-7 for everything. But look how intelligent he was. I don't want an illness that will prevent me from amazing deeds. Even though he'll get the reward for it. Because if you're ill, you can't go to Hajj. That's an excuse. If you're ill, you don't need to go on jihad. If you're ill, you don't need to go to the masjid. He goes, no, give me an illness that still doesn't stop me. So when people saw him, he's always got a fever, imagine. Always moving his lips, blessed lips and doing. And this was what you call investment for the next life. Now people invest for the dunya. One of the salafs to finish, he said, the people in, of old, they would leave the world only when they sorted the next. Because now people only leave the world when they've sorted their world. <laughs> and he actually laughed. And his students found that strange, you know, subhanAllah. So all I mentioned today was a few blessings with regards to the glorious Quran. And Salat and Nabi, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Are there any questions you want to ask? You know, the durood you mentioned. Yeah. Is it specific ones at certain times or is it the, the short ones, the long ones? Which one's better at certain times? Mashallah. Time, so the best... The rood per se is the rood Ibrahim. So the one that you recite in Salat. Allahumma salli to the end. Allahumma barik to the end. However, this, that is in Salat. <laughs> it's not the best the rood per se. It's in Salat. Why? Because the Salam has been done prior to that. As-salamu alayka ayyuhan nabiyyu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. You've said the Salam. The rood Ibrahim only has Salat. There's no Salam in there. So if you take it out of Salat and you recite uh, the Rudi Ibrahim, you haven't sent Salam upon the Prophet So therefore, in Salat, is, that is the best. But the others, there's many. You know, there's Jazallahu ta'ala anna Muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam mahu wa ahlu. And there's many others you can do. But the simplest one is the one that you don't even realize maybe it's a Durud. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam once was smiling. And somebody asked, Ya Rasulullah, why are you happy? He goes, Jibreel just came to me. 
alayhi salatu wa salam, and he said, whoever, sends, whoever says sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Allah Ta'ala says the same to the recite. So imagine, somebody goes to you, alhamdulillah, that's why he said that for, Allah Ta'ala said to me, the peace and the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be upon you, O Yusuf. Now imagine, <laughs> well, a person would say to you, who the hell do you think you are, brother? Before you go ballistic and not become Qadiani, right? Because I've said sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And then he goes, I don't understand. That is repeated back to you. So that is the root. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And there's others. But whichever ones you want to recite, there's no problem. But in salat is the root of Ibrahim. Subhanallah <laughs> <laughs>